we've actually on the podcast we've had a lot of tf2 youtubers before on mm-hmm. the podcast and they all this is like just like this thing matt can back me up here this is this thing they they say that your first day on tf2 youtube you have to just go up to the biggest youtuber and like kick his ass it's yeah like, it's like a hazing uh, thing that's cool yeah i had to kick gaben's ass and uh everybody else has to kick my ass is that why he only <laughs> plays cool. dota 2 now yeah because he got scared <laughs> he's dota too scared to face dead so freaking true dude that honestly in terms of things that are freaking true that's freaking like so freaking true mm-hmm. um so speaking of influence um we've established that dane is kind of this power broker on uh the tf2 uh youtube sphere um but besides that dane just tell us like tell us about yourself like we've established the power trips we've established the influence the money the wealth the uh the the, the profound power you found but besides that like who are you who am i um i don't know it's not I, i'm not really anybody special i, I make youtube that's videos. okay you, we can just stop it there then okay um so this week Matt, <laughs> <laughs> This is the Motion Pixels Podcast. I'm your co-host, August Meyer. This is my other co-host, Matthew Rowling. Say hello, Matthew. Hello. And of course, you know it, we know it. We're joined by Uncle Dane, Dane Kevin Cook. Dane, introduce yourself. Hi, it's me, Dane Kevin Cook, also known as Uncle Dane from YouTube.com slash Uncle Dane. We're all dying to know, Dane, um, what what is it that, why? to you <laughs> why, why not why? that's my I have a, i'm gonna answer your question with a question why not that's a that's a good point um so you post a lot of overwatch related content who do you think the strongest hero is in overwatch i think it's probably gonna be uh diva because uh, she's because good... she's a gamer girl and uh, i really relate to the gamer mindset that's actually that's funny matt and i were talking last podcast about how we're both gamers mm-hmm. and when i play diva i really i think i really do connect with her on a deep level when she says things like game on and like <laughs> and stuff like that so um i really like that character it's definitely not an insulting character in any way to the audience it's trying to appeal to so i i really like i think diva is probably the best overwatch character that's that's really cool um who out of all of the <laughs> thanks uh, <laughs> that's, that's uh, really of... cool <laughs> yeah this is like a okay so i don't know if we kind of gave you like a like a quick little boot camp on what we're all about in this podcast. We try to keep it uh, focused on really cool things. So if you could, <laughs> if you could kind of steer your own conversation in that direction, we won't have a problem. Okay, cool. I'll try my best to speak only of cool things instead of uncool things. I, I that would actually be really good. All right. Um, real talk. Um, dead ass, uh, as New Yorkers say. That's a cross. We're, we're, you know, this is kind of a coast-to-coast podcast. We try to appeal also to um, New Yorkers. We try to appeal to LAkers, um, Midwesterners. Yes. Um, Texans. Um, everybody in LA, hella. Um, everybody, <laughs> hella. Everybody, all right. Yeah, you say hella, I uh, say hello. Hella. Um, and then uh, everybody in the South, you say hello. Uh, uh, I've seen the Medea films. Um, but she says, hello, quite a bit. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Matt and I used to go. Matt, you and I used to go to see most of the Medea films in theaters. I think, dude, the yeah. Medea Christmas movie is actually like one of my favorite Christmas movies of all time. Dude, they're great. Yeah, Medea, it's, they it's really good. It's an excellent movie. Um, they're hilarious. Did like, you ever see the Halloween one? No, Medea's Boo. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I missed that one. I didn't get a chance to see it. I wish Dang. they would have had like a trigger warning before they say the title of the movie because it scares me every time. <laughs> oh, yeah, don't, don't say it again. I'm afraid. I'm, I'm trying to think. I how will. many good Christmas movies are there, though? Well, there's Jingle All the Way with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Christmas Christmas with the Cranks. And as far as I'm aware, those are the only ones that really. I, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. You, you know Rotten Tomatoes, right? They're, I know. Of those them. are very, very fresh movies. Yeah. Die Hard though, you <laughs> no, forgot Die Hard. Not, not I, kind of podcast, I absolutely no. knew that that was coming. Yeah, because I, I that like it's not even a meme to me. My favorite Christmas movie. It's like because it has the theme, so you can get people to watch it. But it's also just like a good movie, so you don't have to follow like you don't have to watch a movie that's like you know just generic Christmas plot. And oh no, there's some like bad family thing, but the power of friendship and family were all good and happy at the end. Mm-hmm. Like that's, I don't yeah, know. that's that's actually how I get people to watch Die Hard. I'm like, yeah. you guys should, like, if you guys want to watch like a great Christmas movie, try Die Hard. Um, it is good. Die Hard's good. Hans Gruber, Hans Gruber, yes, good Hans bad Gruber. guy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. Hans Gruber, good bad guy. Um, yeah, good name. Uh, Hans Gruber, um, R.A.P. Uh, what's his name? Snape. Alan Rickman. Yeah. Okay, that no. was Snape? Severus Snape? Yes, that Whoa. was Severus. Wait, I, are you, is this for real? Yeah. yeah. No, Alan, you didn't know that was Alan Rickman? No, I don't really know actor names too well. Oh, okay. oh yeah, he's an actor. He's British, so I get it. Um, yeah. yeah he, <laughs> <died>. <laughs> he was an actor. <laughs> yeah, he, well, he was an actor, but then he got... Then he yeah. died. Is he like Count Dooku and made his own uh, like metal album too? I wish. Dave, have you heard uh, Christopher Lee, the guy who plays Count Dooku, have you heard his metal album? I have. I mean, I haven't held. The, I haven't heard the whole thing, but I've listened to a few songs. That's cool. Yeah, uh, we talked about that last week. Jingle Hell, uh, <laughs> sick, sick track, dude. He's got the voice uh, for it. Yeah, he truly does. He was kicking. He was kicking until the end. Yep. We uh, we were t- we were talking about last week. There, uh, we were playing a bunch of Battlefront two before the podcast last week, and yeah. uh, I I bought a skin for Count Dooku where he's just wearing his pajamas. Really? Yeah. You can do that. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming it's not, like, canon pajamas, but it, it just looks like it. Everything in Battlefront 2 is canon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah dude, that, exactly. that's what he's like. When he's just chilling on a Star Destroyer, Count Dooku's kicking back in his pajamas. He's got yeah, the he little slippers. slippers. <laughs> that's freaking adorkable. Yeah, dude. Uh, that's funny you say that, because as a gamer, I find a lot of things adorkable. Mm-hmm. It's, it's cool that you, you find things I think I find things adorkable or adorbs for short. Oh, that's what that's short for? Adorbs, yeah. Wouldn't it be adorbs? Yeah, you're right. Okay, thank you. Um, yeah, so uh, speaking of games, um, we're all gamers here. Um, uh, yeah. People who are not gamers, you can stop listening now. Um, so right before the pod, um, we just pressed record about 11 minutes, 13 seconds ago or so. Um, before that, we were playing Team Fortress 2 mm-hmm. um, with Dane here. Um, Dane, pretty good at Team Fortress 2. Matt and I real bad at team fortress 2 rusty 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 um 1v1 on rust bro <laughs> that's a that's a uh, cod of call of duty reference um, very all right um this is not we're not that kind of podcast um but yeah we were playing team fortress 2 uh just minutes ago 
And man, that game's great. Uh, I haven't played it in years, probably about four or five years. I haven't played it. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it felt just kind of like, uh, you know, calling up an old friend on the phone you haven't talked to in a while. Like it felt very similar to how I remember it. Um, very approachable. Um, I died a lot, but I got, you know, some sick kills. Um, what in that time, what kind of substantial changes has the game seen? Because it seemed, it's, it seemed very familiar to me jumping into it now after not having played it for years. Yeah. I mean, I, it's hard for me to judge because I've, I've played it for so long. I don't really have a timeline for, in my mind of what got added when specifically, but I mean, Matt was bringing up all of the big changes that I forget uh, got added recently. When when I say recently, I mean the last five years, which is like the competitive uh, mode stuff, like where you lobby up, like we lobby up and then you queue into a match, very similar to how like how a lot of games are. And then with that came the the scoreboard coming up at the beginning, kind of like encouraging people to pay attention to their score and stuff. And then the yeah yeah the stuff like, at the top. It, it seems like a you like a lot of cosmetic stuff, right? Like I just kind of like overlay yeah, yeah. to make it feel more modern. Yeah, they were they they came out with an update in 2016 called the Meet Your Match update, and that added a bunch of uh, it, well, it added the competitive mode for one, but it also just kind of modernized the way that the game runs. Uh, in that, and I think that's probably the main thing that you guys noticed because I think around the time you guys stopped playing, like there was still like quick play, and uh, you basically just join matches using the little search thing like you just search yeah. for a server but now it's a little bit more automated a little bit more streamlined so you can party up with people easier i like it um yeah you're you're big on the um the competitive part of it right yeah i'm a big supporter of the competitive uh aspect of tf2 just because of i mean like i feel like once you play it for long enough uh i don't know you just start to want to have a uh, an arena to test your skills and stuff so yeah i uh the guy we're playing with earlier dog he was telling me that the competitive mode is like broken and nobody really at least like the competitive mode in the game and most people if they're actually competitive they play outside of that is that true yeah i wouldn't say that it's broken i just say that it's it's unpopular because a lot of things uh, are wrong with it like rule set wise and and restrictions wise like good example would be like the for some reason uh there's a minimum amount uh that you can change about your uh, graphic settings so like people with with bad computers can't play competitive mode or else they crash a lot or they get terrible frames Wow, really? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that's probably a big deterrent. Also, there's not really any big incentive to play competitive TF2. Like, there's not really any reason for it besides just wanting to play competitive. So I feel like if they were to make make it so, like, you get a special hat or something for playing or, or whatever, like, I mean, hats are what, what TF2 is all about at the end of the day. So Well, like, joking aside, um, I mean, like, today games are large, like, competitive games, online games, are largely driven by cosmetics and as far as i remember team fortress 2 was like the first game to really yeah really monetize by cosmetics so i think i mean maybe in like 10 20 years i think tf2 will still be looked at as like one of the more important games in terms of like monetization strategies for games i mean like team fortress 2 is another great example of the longevity you can get um in a game by being supported by microtransactions you know people like to talk smack on microtransactions but I think TF2 has done a pretty good job of uh, like leveraging them in a non-exploitive way. It doesn't feel really icky, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I mean, yeah, you're right about TF2 going down in history is the the person the uh, not the person but the game that kind of 
popularized the that that model of of being a free game with microtransactions and they're optional and it's all cosmetic and like you can still play the game but if you want to look cool then you got to put a little bit of money in it and that's how they make their money and honestly it was <laughs> it's changed a lot of the way that games are sold these days so i mean tf2 you can thank for that yeah you influenced the market like oh my not God, intentionally so yeah like, I, I want you so to talk funny. about this because that I, I found that hilarious uh can you just like <laughs> talk a little about what we're alluding to sure yeah just as a little background like there's like a big like trading scene with these cosmetics you don't just buy them like you could trade it with other players so what dates about to talk about uh directly relates to that kind of thing yeah i mean like there's a bunch of hats in the game obviously but there's certain quality of hats that are like worth more than others because they have special effects around them and stuff they're called unusuals and like that that whole market is like a whole market in itself like people trade these hats that are worth hundreds and thousands of dollars uh for for you know they can make a profit from it or they just like doing it but i'm not a big big trader but whenever i was first started playing i uh, my i was on a, a a team like a competitive team with these guys and for my birthday they all pulled in uh they all chipped in to buy me uh the hat that i that i wear for like I have like an avatar right on my YouTube channel and, and it's of an engineer. He has like a, a hat. It's like the pork pie hat. I think it's called from breaking bad that, um, like the Walter Heisenberg White, hat. Yeah. The Heisenberg hat, like the Walter white hat with the, with like the glasses and stuff. And I, I wear that, but I dyed it white and then I got a beard. I dyed that white. And then I have like a, a jacket and I dyed that white. So it's like, um, I look kind of like an, a little old man, but <laughs> anyway, that hat, uh, when he bought it, it was relatively expensive. It's a Miami Knights effect, which is relatively okay of an effect, but the hat itself combined with that effect, eh, it's a pretty average hat. It probably cost him about eighty dollars. So he, wow. I mean, I mean, and they all and they all chipped in for it. So I mean, they all probably spent about twenty dollars on the hat. So uh, they just gave it to me for uh, Christmas or maybe birthday. I forget which one it was, and then. That was back in like 2014, and right now I think it's the most expensive thing in my backpack because uh, over time, my with the popularity of my channel, that specific hat with that specific effect is known now as like the hat that I have. So all of those hats are, I mean, traders they hike up the price of it because it's like it has some sort of like significance to it because of my popularity. So now it's like I I I don't want to let me just look it up. I'm pretty sure that it's uh it's at least worth four or five times than what it used to be worth. <laughs> that's so crazy. Dude, that is so funny. That's actually something that's kind of like um this is not a full card game corner, but this is a little akin to it. Uh there's a lot of like magic YouTubers that will there's like a, a casual format of magic called uh edh or commander um and it's you like it's basically just like a best of magic it's like 100 card decks everything's unique um but you can use any card from ever and there's like you know normal expensive cards that are like just ones that are really old that are already known for being strong um that are pretty costly but like if a youtuber that covers commander puts a video like oh this is like one of my favorite cards that is cheap to pick up and nobody knows about it's like immediately when that video comes out, it will just like spike in price. Not because like people know it's good, but because somebody was like, oh, hey, look at this card I have. <laughs> like, and it just shoots it up. So yeah, it's kind of weird how social stuff can affect the, the price of stuff like that. It's nuts. Yeah. Uh, just for reference, I just looked it up. Apparently on uh, marketplace.tf, which is like where they sell a lot of hats and stuff. 
uh, right now there's one being sold or it's being listed as uh, you can buy for three hundred fifty dollars. <laughs> but I just noticed that it, they, there's like a price buying history. Somebody sold one for five hundred dollars and seven cents last uh, September. So uh, oh anywhere between five hundred three fifty. And uh, I technically got it for free, but yeah, when I got it, that hat was worth about eighty bucks. So to everyone out there, you know, times are tough. People are struggling, but <laughs> if you really want to make a buck, become a popular Team Fortress Two streamer, control the market of a particular hat, and then uh, flip it. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny you bring up like YouTubers' influence on markets and stuff like that because I'm friends with this guy. Uh, he's another popular TF2 YouTuber, and his name's Soundsmith, and he. Um, okay. He makes these videos about like uh, stereotypes uh, about like certain classes or certain hats, like, and they're supposed to be funny. Like he's, he, they're all supposed to be like, kind of taken with a grain of salt or like it's tongue in cheek for the most part. And the videos usually go along the lines of like, oh, if you wear this hat, then you're a weeb, or if you wear this hat, then then you like to pretend like you know what you're doing, but you don't really know. It's all supposed to be kind of comedic. But what has happened as a result of the popularity of those videos is if he if he like if he says that a hat is cool or if he says that a hat is awesome, then that hat will like go up in price like for a month after he makes that video. So people were getting mad at him because they were like, he's controlling the market. He's like he's <laughs> they, like there was all these conspiracies that he was like on purpose buying all of these hats in bulk and then making a video saying that the hat is cool so that he could make a profit or something but that obviously was never happening i just think that it's like it's it's hilarious how youtubers get their hands all sticky from these weird trading communities in tf2 it reminds me of that uh that matt you remember that that counter strikes counter strike uh global offensive pro who like got in trouble because he was promoting this like uh like weapon skin slot machine website that uh turned out he had like a controlling interest in and would like fake videos of himself getting like crazy mm -hmm. uh crazy rare skins um and then he posted like some bullshit apology video where he was like hugging his dog like acting like so apologetic i no i don't i i remember hearing a lot about the uh like counter-strike gambling that you could do with skins and like it was kind of a big deal for a while because i guess a lot of people were uh getting addicted to that um <laughs> but yeah. i didn't know that there was a guy that was directly like you know tied to it like by being a personality in the community like that's kind of oh yeah yeah crazy. he was like posting videos saying like guys i found this amazing site where you can like <laughs> you can get the best luck unlocking all of these skins and it turned out that he had like founded that website with another popular like counter-strike youtuber um and was yeah yeah really you know, illegal or somewhat illegal. Yeah, that was that was that was literally a billion dollar industry that came toppling down. Really? Yeah. Like a billion like human dollars or like hat dollars. Human dollars. <laughs> they they were literally making billions of dollars from that. Oh my god. Yeah. So Dane, I know you said you wanted to plug your uh your hat gambling site. Um <laughs> the point that you wanted to do. Yeah. That. It's called Uncle Hat it's called Uncle Hat dot tf you just basically just put your paypal in and then the money goes to my account <laughs> how did you how did you hear about this website i don't know i just found it i found it i thought it was really cool i said really cool. i said whoa this is awesome i have to tell my my followers about this because i love my followers i love my audience i love you guys oh my god i, I love you personally this is not manipulative the language <laughs> i'm using oh my god i love you guys you guys are my best friends yeah uh 
Okay, so that's actually an interesting thing you just brought up, the like the best friends thing. Uh, a lot of YouTube communities, and you, I mean, you probably have an opinion on this, I, I would hope. If you don't have opinions, just like blink once, um, and we, we don't need to talk about it. <laughs> right. But, but uh, one thing that kind of goes me the wrong way about a lot of YouTube communities is these YouTubers, like, they put on airs that they're like your friend. Uh, yeah. There's like, there's some communities, uh, I won't name names, but they call their like subscriber base like oh these are the best friends and that i mean that just seems like pretty like socially manipulative especially like for the you know the gamer crowd is not the least lonesome bunch on the internet so for that kind of uh to appealing to that kind of crowd seems manipulative to me uh what do you what do you think about that kind of thing i completely agree i mean obviously i was being funny with saying like you know oh you're my best friend oh yeah yeah because it's like it's true like it is i feel like something that is taken advantage of because a lot of people get stuck in these parasocial relationships with youtubers and stuff because uh you're so much closer to these people you can comment you can leave comments and you can leave a like and you can interact with their videos in ways that you couldn't with television and stuff like if you if you really liked jimmy neutron or whatever (laughs) just like basically impossible to like talk to jimmy neutron right i mean yeah uh, (laughs) not only because he's a cartoon but even like even just the voice actress like you can't there's no way for you to like contact them so it's just kind of like this there was always this separation between you and the content you were consuming until youtube came along and then you can directly interact with them i mean your comment might get seen by them if you leave a comment so there's more reason to leave a comment and stuff so and then i I think the youtubers get i don't know they get cocky and they think oh if I can just, you know, use this language in a specific way, people will like me more because they're going to feel connected to me and stuff. It's very manipulative, I feel. Yeah, whether it's I didn't realize that was like such a big thing on YouTube, too, because I know Twitch is a lot like that. Like you'll mm, kind of sure. post about people being like, I don't know, like not Twitch outcasts or like they left watching on Twitch because they'll follow a streamer and they'll get big and like they feel like they're friends and they feel obligated to give them donations and subs every month and then if they can't afford it then they realize they stop getting paid attention to and they're just another person in the crowd again yeah um like i feel like you hear that a lot and like i think on twitch that's like a platform where that's ripe for happening because you can involve your community like even more like you you can make people mods and you can almost talk like directly to them in a way Mm -hmm. um especially the smaller streams because like the chat goes so slowly in those smaller streams where the the streamer can actually answer your questions and stuff. It feels I mean, when I streamed, it felt like the only reason that I was streaming is so I could have like an impromptu Q&A with people. Never really felt like I was entertaining anybody. It felt like I was just in a room with people talking. And I think that mm-hmm. uh, people make <laughs> people basically just dedicate their entire stream to doing that. And I think that if you're on the other end of it, it can be kind of misleading because you're basically chatting with somebody you don't really know them and they don't really think of you most of the time as like as a friend or even an acquaintance i mean you're just a name in a chat asking a question so i don't know it's like disproportionate the relationship dynamic between like a viewer and a streamer and a a, or a viewer and a a content creator is so flowery uh, or fricked (laughs) so it's one's gonna get herbed (laughs) maybe both which one will it be (laughs) Yeah, it's a weird landscape out there. It's a weird landscape out there, especially as all these uh, all these companies become so much more ubiquitous. 
like I feel like after Twitch introduced the uh, the Twitch Prime thing, I think there's so much more money going into these uh, going into these uh, platforms than there than there was before, which has caused like basically like a new industry uh, a new industry to, to pop up around streamers and you know, YouTube or whatever. But yeah, Dave, you've been I mean, you've been doing this for a long time. Like, what is your uh, like? Do you enjoy like the life being a being a YouTube uncle, being a being a professional uncle, like like what keeps you what keeps you keeps you going? Like why do you why do you like what you do? If you do, if you don't like what you do, you can tell us and we'll edit it out. I I I mean, <laughs> it's a definitely a double edged sword for me because I, I'm not one to like seek fame, but I have a, a creative brain and I like making things. And obviously, if I make something and I don't show it to anybody, then what was the point? So I like showing people things that I've made, and I like people watching it and enjoying what I make, but I also just don't like being uh, a personality on the internet, I guess. I just don't, I feel like I just don't mesh well, because I don't like, uh, I don't like playing into the, into the role, you know? People, I feel like people want to be in a parasocial relationship sometimes, and I feel like it's damaging to a lot of people's psyche. And I don't like being a part of it, even though people want to be friends with someone that they don't know. I don't want to be their friend and I don't want you to play into that. So I try and avoid it, but there's no avoiding it. <laughs> so it's kind of like, well, it's, it sucks. It's a, it's a weird little dichotomy, but I don't know. I, I like, like I said, I like making content and I'm willing to take whatever comes with it. Uh, and I mean, I can't complain too much. I, I'm doing what I want to do for a living so whatever yeah i i think that's like what i've always really liked about the things that you've made is you've had this kind of i don't know mindset about it since like i met you like forever ago at this point um and like you i feel like you can kind of see it sometimes in youtubers like some people would make a youtube channel dedicated to a game just because they know there's like low competition and if they like do like the weekly vids and talk about the stuff they can grow an audience that way right and where it's like you you make tf2 videos because you like tf2 you know like mm -hmm. <laughs> that's kind of like the extent of it it's not like you're trying to be a youtuber it's just like what you like to do and it's like you can kind of see that in the stuff you make too like it just you can tell it's all like passion stuff and if like tomorrow you woke up you didn't like it anymore you, you wouldn't do it right yeah. yeah a lot of people uh a lot of people refer to you kind of as like the Larry Herb Xbox Live's Major Nelson of the Team Fortress 2 community, which is a pretty cool accolade. I mean, I've never heard anyone refer to me as whatever <laughs> you just said, but <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. We, yeah, I, I must be interacting with a whole segment of your community that you've never heard of before because I hear it's like an echo chamber. That's probably for the, the best. Time. They don't sound like a great group of people based on what you just said. Yeah, they're horrible. But uh, yeah, like, like Matt was saying, uh, I mean, you, you're a TF2 YouTuber, so you must like TF2 quite uh, a bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is it about TF2? I mean, we just played it. It's great. But, like, what is it about this game that has kept you into it for how many years? Like, five, five six years you've been doing this? Four or five years? Mm -hmm. um, I like it because... Uh... Well, a lot of reasons. I think the main reason is that it's... I feel like every time I play it, something different happens. It's not very. It's not. It doesn't feel very repetitive to me. Uh, so it has a it has a pretty good replayability factor for me. And I also feel like uh, I have played the game for. I, I think I told you earlier. I have eight thousand hours in the game. 
I'm still not the best at the game ever. Like, there's still room to improve. There's still reason to play it. There's still ways to figure out, like, oh, I can get better at doing this or get better at doing that. Like, there's still always something to do in the game for me. So that's always nice. That's, like, a good reason to come back to the game. But as overall, like, I like the game compared to other games in its uh, category, mostly just because the movement is really good and the design of the of the classes and the characters are really, really balanced and, and work uh, really well in tandem with each other. The movement especially is really nice. I don't think I've ever played a game with as good a movement as TF2. Yeah, and, and specifically, you, your Uncle Dane, the Engie main. Yeah, that's another reason that I was going to get into as well, is like the engineer itself is probably a big reason why I've continued playing the game because it's I think it's a really fun class and uh, uh, there's so much creativity involved in it like in a game where everybody can like do one or two things with their gun like they can shoot it they can not shoot it <laughs> you know the, the, <laughs> like it's the binary pretty, options yeah it's pretty like straightforward for most of the classes uh but with the engineer i feel like he really breaks down that door and he basically just says like oh you can put this anywhere on the map and it's your choice and you can figure out the best way to do that or you can figure out the weirdest way to do that and sometimes weird strategies work, so, so it's like a little, uh, it's a little fun little, um, I don't know, science experiment in that way. I get a lot of, I get a big kick out of doing that. Can you actually go into just for people who have never played TF2, like what what is the engineer? So the engineer, I mean, like uh, he he's uh, the builder character. Like um, he can build uh, three different buildings. The main one is the sentry gun, so it's like a, an automatic turret, and it shoots people automatically whenever it gets in a certain range of it. So if you've played other games like Overwatch, it's like the Torbjorn character. Uh, uh, you can also build a dispenser that's like a little mini, like uh, health, disp like health pack or whatever, and uh, you can also build teleporters, so you can bring your teammates to the front line faster. So like all of that together, uh, I don't know. It makes for some pretty interesting like plays you can put your sentry gun in a weird spot you can put it in a really effective spot you can sneak behind the enemy put your sentry gun in a place that's going to irritate them and waste their time the dispenser it's like really important for keeping your team alive so it's like he's like a support option as well as a defensive option and then the of course the teleporters it's like you can use that to sneak around all over the map or you can use it to make your team win the game so it's 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 i don't know it's just like such a a weird class especially in that environment and it's really attractive to me i'm attracted to things in games that give you like a almost like a sandbox feeling and i feel like he's kind of like that are there any other games you've, you've put like a you know a of hours into tf2 are there any, any other games that have approached the amount of time you've spent with tf2 like any sandboxy feeling games that scratch that same itch um no i don't think so <laughs> all right well uh, moving on <laughs> I mean, I could give you some games that I've put a lot of hours into that might have some similarities. Like, I've put a lot of hours into the Pokemon series, uh, and obviously those are open-world, like, RPG games. It's so, like a Temtem-like, right? Yeah, it's 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 probably the most Temtem-like game that I can think of. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, actually, Matt and I were, uh, we've been playing a bunch of Temtem mm -hmm. lately, and um, yeah, we just, we, we were talking a few weeks ago about how no other game does, you know, this like monster collecting thing quite like Temtem does. So it's interesting you bring up this Pokemon game. Yeah, Pokemon is is I think based on the idea that Temtem brought, but uh, it's a, uh, I don't know, it's it's kind of like, I don't know, I can't really, I can't really uh, bring together 
the exact reasons why I like TF2 with the exact reasons that I like Pokemon. But the fact that there's a lot of creativity in like the way that you build your team and like a lot of pre-planning and like a lot of like knowledge about the game is important. And with engineer, it's like you got to have map knowledge. So you can't only just play the game and be good at aiming and stuff, or you can't just learn like where the, the sentry gun goes good. You have to learn where the, how the map is and stuff. So it's it's like a, a huge investment. I I was telling uh, a few of my friends last night actually that I think the reason why I like Pokemon is because you have to spend so much time like looking into everything and learning about the game in order to actually have fun playing it. And to some people, that's like annoying. People don't like that, which is understandable. But the way I like to play games is I like to I like to learn every little tiny thing about that game. I think I I treat video games at least the video games that I really like as like big projects rather than like a fun little hour uh, time waster or whatever. That's an interesting way to yeah. look at it because more and more I uh, I treat games as like a something I can dip into to kind of get my mind off of you know stressors yeah, outside yeah. of the the gamosphere. Um, but that's yeah that's an interesting way to. Interesting way to think of it. Um, yeah, man, games are great. I mean, great. because you guys are a movie podcast as well, I think I can bring this up. I, I've, I think I'm beginning to come to the conclusion that when when it comes to like the main sources of entertainment, there are two different types of people. There are the people that like dipping their toe into something for like an hour, you know? It's like, a, it's like get, going on a roller coaster or something, you know? It's temporary fun. And after the roller coaster is over, you don't really think about it. And you're like, okay, I did that. It was a good little, you know, boredom cure. Let's move on with my life and think about other stuff. Um, and that's fine. And a lot of people do that with movies and games, especially. Like my mom is a great, is a great example. She, I, <laughs> I ask her all the time. I was like, you seen any movies lately? And she's like, um, yeah, I've seen a lot of movies. Like, like what? And she can't think of the title or any, like the, the plot of a movie until I start like, refreshing her memory and she's like oh yeah i have seen that and to me that's insane it's like how do you not remember what the plot of the movie was <laughs> like but she still saw the movie and she still liked it because she was invested in that movie for that hour and a half that she was watching the movie but she doesn't think about the movie afterwards and some people do that with games where they're just like yeah i played i sat down i played overwatch for an hour on the weekend and uh i'm done i'm done with i'm done thinking about that game until next weekend but there are other people like me who uh you know they invest a lot more time outside of playing the game into like learning more about the game. Like when I'm not playing TF2, I'll be looking at the TF2 wiki or whatever, learning, learning more stuff about the game. Same with Pokemon. It's like, I'm not playing Pokemon right now, but I'm still learning about Pokemon. I'm looking stuff up. So am I still playing the game? I don't know. But uh, yeah, that was, that was, that's like something that I've, I've thought about a lot. <laughs> I'm considering making a video on it, even though it's not really that much, it's not really interesting. <laughs> it's like, no i think i think it's super interesting it's it feels really basic to me where it's just like yeah i know some people play games a lot some people don't <laughs> it's, it's like the extracurriculars around the thing that you're into like last night like i you know this is a movie podcast as far as i'm concerned uh and uh i like movies especially my favorite director of all time easily is uh, stanley kubrick and last night i uh speaking of extracurriculars uh with here into I was I watched this great documentary on Netflix called uh, S's for Stanley, which is this documentary about uh, Stanley Kubrick's longtime driver, who is this guy, this Italian like ex race car driver who <laughs> would drive Stanley Kubrick around for like 30 years from like 
the time when Clockwork Orange was being filmed to the time that uh, Eyes Wide Shut was being filmed. So like most of his career. Wow. Um, and it was crazy just learning about like the, the, the nitty gritty of like the life of Stanley Kubrick, which is something that no one is going to be interested in unless you yeah. know, you're a huge geek for this specific thing. You know, and I, I love movies a lot. And I specifically love Stanley Kubrick. So like doing this kind of like extracurricular research into something is, is really rewarding. And that yeah. kind of like rounds out the experience of like loving something like uh, like movies or games like you're, you're talking about. It's like an yeah. extension on the movie and it's like extra entertainment yeah my my favorite thing to do after watching like a really good movie that i like like as soon as the credits roll <laughs> i know get on my say. phone go on imdb yes that's exactly yep. what i do every single time yeah dude it's great i because it's I like it. uh, yeah all the goofs all the the trivia yeah i'll even i mean like just to make sure that i'm not missing something from a movie even if it was completely understandable I'll I'll go on Wikipedia and I'll just reread the plot. Yeah. Be like, oh yeah, okay, that was the plot. Yeah. See, like, I find my like what you were just talking about. I think you should make a video because I think it would be interesting to kind of like look at that stuff because I think there's a lot of people that don't consider that other side, and I think I kind of find myself in the middle with that. Like sometimes I'll approach games where it's like, okay, I'm just gonna try this and that was fun and I'll like move on. Yeah. Um, or like a movie, and then. Sometimes I'll get into a game and I'm finding myself doing this more and more where it's like you are kind of playing the game when you stop. Like a lot of that that started that for me was like playing uh, magic for the first time because mm-hmm. magic, there's like this whole side of it. That's just like the hobby of like going on the subreddit, like what's going on in the community, what's like going on with decks, like what are old cards? Like you can just keep diving into all these different aspects of it and like when I primarily played it in paper and I would have to actually like physically go somewhere and play with other people, most of my time, quote unquote, playing the game was looking into things about it and like trying to come up with like new ideas for decks and strategies yeah. and whatnot. Um, and I think that's like what I enjoy most about games nowadays, that and like really team heavy, like team focused games with a lot of like intricacy in how you play and you have to kind of master like just certain little aspects of the game to improve yourself i think the mark of a fun game for me is uh if i enjoy talking about the game almost as much as i like playing it (laughs) like if you can if you get excited having a discussion about a game or like looking into like the the inner workings of a game and talking about a game and and like workshopping like oh what about this this and this like what you were talking about the magic decks and stuff like that like getting together with your friends and and not playing magic but talking about like well this this deck can be good oh this card that's coming out could have really good synergy with this card that exists already like that aspect of the game is almost as fun as the actual game itself yeah, i think sometimes that it's more is fun. What, yeah exactly it's like that i feel like is what kind of games i like dan do you play uh, any card games i was heavily into the pokemon trading card game for a good good part of my life good part of my early that. 20s do you guys uh do you guys smell that it smells like a uh, card game quarter oh oh my god Dang, you're in for a treat hold we've, on we've pause entered. yourself theme song the time has come dan you will hear this after but the theme song it's it's magical it's magical 
Um, yeah, Matt data mined the Magic the Gathering <laughs> arena game to make the uh, make the theme song That's for that great. segment. So yeah, you know, talk amongst yourselves about card games. Um, I, I'll, I'll I'll be here. I mean, I don't yeah. really have much else to say about card games besides when I played Pokemon. I did feel that that excitement about like when I wasn't playing the game, like when I wasn't going to tournaments and stuff or going to the local place where we met up and played, I would go home and I'd just, I'd make deck lists and I'd make, I'd, I'd look up all of the new cards that are coming out and stuff and read articles on, on the forums and stuff, talking about different decks and stuff. It was fun. Yeah. I really liked it. So when did you fall out of playing uh, the Pokemon TCG? Um, Probably when I became poor. I had a I had a good <laughs> section of my life. Uh, you know, poverty does a lot of horrible things. It does. That's one of the worst that is one of the worst things is that I couldn't afford to buy Pokemon cards anymore. <laughs> so I, I mean, and you spend a few seasons not keeping up with the cards. I mean, you got to completely buy a new deck. So yeah, that was always the thing that was like, I never really, I never played it. Like I think I played a couple games at your your place in a where we used to live uh, yeah like a bit i actually still have card sleeves you gave me um, nice. oh dude dane i think you taught me how to play the po- now that you i think that, i did I think... yeah i remember playing with matt I, I i feel like i definitely played with you as well yeah but what i thought was like crazy like and maybe this isn't true anymore but there's no eternal format in pokemon where you can play with older cards like that's uh no. sanctioned right yeah God, that's so weird there's just been so many and the power creep is so insane in pokemon that uh it's uh, it's it would be impossible to implement old cards yeah it's just it's like i know a lot of like i, I guess the older card games implement it in different ways like i guess pokemon's always uh nope we just get rid of the old ones because power creep and it wouldn't matter um whereas like this might be wrong but what i've heard about Yu-Gi-Oh is that every card is still legal but they power creep the game so hard that it doesn't matter actually, <laughs> and like mm-hmm. there, it's just this insane cycle where you just need to buy new cards. Like you can play with the old ones, but it won't matter. Yeah. Um, and I just found that weird. Um, I think Magic does a really good job with it though, because I think that's one of like the thing I've noticed about really entrenched Magic players is that their favorite formats are ones in which that they. their cards don't go bad like um like there's that one i was talking about earlier commander it's like cards from ever since the game's been made and it's only like one of each and a lot of people like really tie themselves to like certain decks that they like relate with or have a really good time playing um and magic's had this weird thing where they've had like revert like they haven't had a reverse power creep but they have changed what cards are kind of good like in the early game a lot of like spells used to be really strong um whereas now like uh, the creature cards are typically tend to be like the stronger ones for how much they cost um but they also like will cycle the power levels with sets so like a set will come out and it'll be a little weaker and then another one will come out and they try to like find like a median balance level and try to like make everything around that it's kind of i don't know it's strange how all the different games kind of approach it yeah Um, i mean i as far as i know like wizards of the coast had a had pokemon trading card game for a while and then they transferred it over to the pokemon company i feel like after that the pokemon company was just like all right how do we make money (laughs) (laughs) uh well we gotta make sets uh, expire and there's not gonna be any real reason for it but i think that we should at least make it seem like it's a good idea so i think that that's a big reason why the power creep exists in pokemon but also 
I don't think, I mean, they're not the best at balancing their cards across that entire thing. So I think if you made an expanded format with uh, that allowed everything, like you'd probably run into some pretty broken decks just based on the rules. Huh, it's crazy. Well, tis. I think we shall conclude this card game corner. Yes. Thank God. I mean, I, I don't really have much else to say on the, the subject, mostly because I haven't played Pokemon trading card game in a very long time. But I do have fond memories of playing it. I just don't want to spend, I don't want to drop $500 on new cards. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so speaking of speaking of fond memories, um, Dane, we met you while we were living you know, in the, the greater Sacramento area. Yes. Um, you, I was talking, uh, talking to you the other day about um, Little Women. You know, one of my favorite movies from this past year. Yes. Uh, and the movie that uh, Greta Gerwig, the director of Little Women, did before um, Little Women was, of course, Lady Bird, which was set in Sacramento. So my question to you is, what uh, what is your favorite movie in the Sacramento cinematic universe? I mean, isn't there only one? I don't I, I don't think I've ever seen a movie feature Sacramento quite as much as Lady Bird. So... I don't know what else. What else am I comparing it to? Because I enjoyed Lady Bird, but what else is there? Uh, I also enjoy, enjoyed Lady Bird, but uh, the only other movie that I'm aware of uh, that's a part of the Sacramento Cinematic Universe so far is uh, The Master. Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master. Have you seen that? I have. Uh, yeah, so that movie was largely filmed in Sacramento downtown. Oh, okay. I got to rewatch it. I saw it in theaters once, um, and I actually have it on my list on Netflix. I just have to put it in. Um, so. Yeah, uh, I mean, I liked The Master too when I saw it. Definitely not one of my favorite Paul Thomas Anderson movies, but uh, it's pretty good. I I definitely want to rewatch it though because I think I saw it like when it was released back in like 2011 or something. Dude, speaking of great directors, Paul Thomas Anderson, man, that guy he just doesn't doesn't miss. Like I was even watching this uh, like music video that he made on Netflix, Anima. I think it's called Anima Animus. Have you seen that? It's a Tom York from Radiohead music video directed by yeah I saw Paul that. Thomas Anderson. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, dude, it's so sick. And he's he did a bunch of music videos for Heim, the band Heim. Mm. Um, they're all really cool. Man, I love Paul Thomas Anderson. And actually, I think uh, one of the first times I remember talking with you about movies was when I was I don't know, sometime in high school. But we were—I think we we talked about *There Will Be Blood*, which is still one of my favorite movies ever. Like to this day, I think it's one of the best movies I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I think uh, this is where we'll tra- transition into the favorite movies. If we're going to be talking about uh, *There Will Be Blood*, <laughs> yes, uh, I would like to talk about our favorite movies. Um, yeah, well, uh, a little bit about Paul Thomas Anderson. Maybe this is my my hot take for the pod, but I think Paul Thomas's Paul Thomas Anderson's movies have gotten worse in the last like. Uh, I don't know. Ever since he made the master, everything after the master, okay. I haven't really enjoyed it all. All right, a shots fired. Yes, e, I know. Elaborate. So, first of all, uh, I think it was called True Vice, right? Uh, Inherent Vice. Inherent Vice. What's True Vice? Uh, I think he just made that up. Uh, True Vice is something. I'm sure that somebody can tell me. But uh, Inherent Vice, I saw in the theaters because I was really excited. Um, I did not enjoy that movie at all, and I probably will never watch it again. Actually, that's not true. I have it on my list of movies to rewatch because I I want to make sure that I don't like it. But I it's it's not a memorable movie to me. I know he didn't write it, which is probably why I didn't like it that much because I like Paul Thomas and Thomas Anderson's writing almost as much as I like his directing. But it's like I don't know. It didn't feel like a Paul Thomas Anderson movie to me at all. It was very strange and didn't make any sense. And the plot was all over the place. And I wasn't a big fan. Uh, and then move on you know, to I never saw uh, it. huh? You never saw what? I never saw it in your advice. 
I actually haven't seen Inherent Vice or Phantom Thread, which I've heard is very good. Okay, well, I was going to say moving on to Phantom Thread. That that movie's boring as hell, and I don't really understand why he made it because it was pointless. I don't know. I'm not a big. I'm not. I I think that you should definitely see those two movies before you say that you like Paul Thomas Anderson because I think that his movies, the first five movies that he made, are like masterpieces, but the last three movies that he's made, in my opinion, are not that great. And I I hope that he doesn't continue down that road because I want him to be good. So are you saying they're like straight up bad movies or just not as good as his just not movies? as good? It's it, it's like whenever you run into a, a, a like a high profile director like Paul Thomas Anderson or like Quentin Tarantino or whatever, you're always going to be judging those movies against his previous work. It's just how it works with these people. So it's hard not to compare like Inherent Vice or Phantom Thread or whatever to his other films. But even compared to other films, I can't see myself watching Phantom Thread ever again because I just was bored the entire time. The acting was good, but that's not going to save a movie for me. Like the shots were boring. The color was very like the color of the movie entirely is just gray. It sucks. Like it's a it's a kind of a depressing movie to watch. I don't know. It's it's just not my type of movie. I don't really like period pieces that much either. So. And the That's subject matter was it, was, it was about a tailor from the 1940s or something in England. And it was very much about a relationship, of kind of a dysfunctional relationship between him and a younger woman. And by him, I mean Daniel Day-Lewis's character. And I don't know, I, I was expecting him, I was expecting more excitement out of the the relationship. Because... Uh, in all of Paul Thomas Anderson's movies, like the characters interacting, that's where the movie is made. Like the the cool the the best parts of There Will Be Blood are when uh, Daniel Plainview and Eli are talking because they're just oh, like man. it's like immovable force versus like you know Im- like uh, what is that saying? What, what am I trying to say? Immovable force uh, versus an unmovable object or something? Yeah, 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 yeah. Whatever. Important. You know what I mean? Like it, it's like it's there's excitement in it. Even though they're just talking and there's very few like physical confrontations between Eli and, and Daniel in the movie, you still feel tense whenever they're just sitting down talking because you can tell that they both loathe each other, but they have to work together. So it's like, oh my god, you you love those moment moments in the movie, but I felt absolutely none of that in Phantom Thread, despite there being so much room for it. Yeah, well, speaking of loathing, I mean, Daniel Plainview, like, what a hateful hateful character I and mean, one of the best characters i've ever seen in a movie like for sure I, al- I i always think about that scene where he's talking to his who he thinks is his brother and he's Ooh. talking about how he needs like a right-hand man you know? yeah yeah and the line the line is he's like i'm tired of dealing with these people yeah oh like he can't even stand other people because he's so just entrenched in whatever whatever it is he's trying to to do in yeah. his life which I guess just seek power, seek control, success. He's like uh, obsessed with, with being successful or being the. You know, he's got a competitive nature. I mean, he says it himself. I think the line is, "I have a competition in me," and it's yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's 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 the entire like antithesis of everybody in that movie, and it's it's really cool to see an antihero like that. I like those kinds of movies. And I like the I like the kind of movies where it's like you see the fall of the main character. I I really like those movies a lot where it's just uh I mean, it's hard to pull off be- without making it depressing. But I like movies where the main character is like 
okay, here he is, and then watch him just become a terrible person over the course of the entire movie. Watch, watch him get like just, just uh, twisted, and and uh, I don't know. It's cool. I really like There Will Be Blood, but I it's hard because I don't know if I would consider it my favorite movie anymore because I just recently watched it again. It's a great movie, but I think I've seen it too many times, and I think I've actually grown out of the slow burn. Uh, character study movies i think i'm i think i'm starting to to grow out of them a little bit wow it's still a great movie obviously i'm i'm speaking very highly of the movie but i can't confidently say that it's my favorite movie of all time anymore because i used to have this list i still have a list but i used to have this list that i would go back to when people would ask me about movies uh where it was like i would listen order my favorite movies from like one to twenty and there will be blood was at the top for the longest time and very recently i was like i should probably rewatch all of those movies because i haven't seen them in years and make sure that that's still true and so of course i watched there will be blood and, and after i watched it i was like that was really good but i don't know if it's because i've seen it so many times or or what but i feel like there may be a few other movies on this list that i might consider to be more along the lines of like what I would consider my favorite movie. I don't know. It's hard to say. Yeah, I mean, There Will Be Blood. Uh, I was also going to pick that uh, for this podcast as my official pod canon favorite movie. Um, actually, the outro okay, to our podcast is Daniel Plainview going, I'm finished! <laughs> That's great. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I don't know if I could say There Will Be Blood is, is my favorite movie. I think it might be the best acting I've ever seen mm-hmm. with uh, Daniel day lewis but what what would you say your favorite movie is uh, now that you've you know uh, i don't know i role. i'm actually in it's like you've can't you guys came to me in a point where i'm kind of <laughs> renovating my house a little bit like i'm trying to I'm trying to figure that out myself yeah so i have a few movies that are probably top contenders because i just love the movie so much um, but it's hard for me to really pin down exactly the the one i will still default to there will be blood but i just want to have a little footnote that it might not really be officially pod canon uh my favorite movie okay but i can give you some other ones yeah number two for me has always been oh brother where art thou by the oh Oh, so good so good dude so good (laughs) that's it's it's so good everything about the movie is perfect for me like it's just my kind of movie as a man of constant sorrow myself (laughs) and a dapper dan man yes it's just my kind of movie yeah. That song is actually on my like playlist. I listen to it work all the time. That's awesome. It's great. Yeah. It's a great. By the the Foggy Bottom Boys. Is that what yeah. they're called? Mm-hmm. They're, oh, yeah. I love the yeah. Everything about the movie is great. I can't. I, there's nothing about that movie that I can't say is bad. <laughs> it's it's perfect. You could say it's bad, but you would be wrong. I mean, I could I could movie. nitpick it and say things like, oh, um, the acting is everybody's kind of hamming it up but whatever it's it's a goofy movie i don't really care and i love that it's a uh it's an adaptation of the odyssey yeah on top of just being a great period piece yeah like, about it's so strange whatever. yeah oh man i really right though anything the coen brothers do is typically good i didn't really like hail caesar but besides that yeah. um man i think they're so good they're so talented have you seen buster scruggs both of you very yeah good. very good what was your favorite one out of those uh, uh out of that movie like the out of the short stories, I like Buster Scruggs. I thought that was just they that, open strong. The, yeah, the opening one. Um, is that what it's called? Um, yeah, the Ballad of Buster yeah. Scruggs is the first uh, vignette in that series of uh, little shorts. Yeah, that one I thought was just really well done. I really like that actor. Um, just like yeah, his Tim cheery, like just like oh, dude, he's so good. 
yeah, the cheery take on just like a murderous cowboy <laughs> I thought was pretty humorous. Um, and I, like just the, the everything about it, like I was like, okay, this is, I was a little disappointed when I realized it was a vignette movie because that part was you wanted to see more of it yeah yeah i was like i want it and that's how you know a short is good right you're like no it's it it can't be over already like (laughs) come on i um i really liked the opening of course and uh what was i gonna say oh i read a really funny review about that vignette specifically uh which is somebody said that it was like a it was like an adult bugs bunny cartoon (laughs) <laughs> oh my god <laughs> i was like that's yeah, so true i love that oh man that's so funny that's so funny um my favorite one out of the ballad of buster scruggs uh thing was um the one with the gold panner i don't know why i just really liked it a lot <laughs> with tom oh, with the uh with tom waits i think his name is tom waits yeah yeah, yeah tom waits is so cool. he was perfect in that role and i don't know i just really liked the pacing of it it felt i don't know it felt like a really entertaining short it was like a it was like a pixar short in in live action there's another short i don't know who did it but there's another short that tom waits bill murray and i think rizza from the wu-tang clan is in called <laughs> cigarettes and coffee have you seen that no it's about like uh tom waits I think it, I could be butchering this, but it's like Tom Waits and Rizza from the Wu Tang Clan are like getting coffee, and Bill Murray is their waiter. Uh, it's on YouTube. You should check huh. it out if you if you like. Yeah, I'll check that out. Yeah, starring Tom Waits. <laughs> I mean, I like the one that I saw already. Um, yeah, I uh, if I had to choose a favorite Vignetti from uh, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, I like the one with the uh, I don't know I don't remember if these have names, but the one where the the kid had like no legs and he was like a sideshow. The lighting in that, I just the whole vibe of that vignette, I thought was really cool. It was really pretty. Um, yeah. Also spooky, like uh, kind of unsettling. The story was really depressing, uh, but I thought it was really well acted. I thought it was really funny that uh, that uh, what's that guy's name, the main character, the the main actor in that, the um, Liam Neeson. I thought it was Liam Neeson had like one line in the entire thing. Basically, just played a silent character. I think it's I think it's a huge power play in movies when they have a big actor yeah have like one scene like I watched uh I saw 1917 uh, for the second time last week and no spoilers like I haven't four... seen it okay I won't say anything other than there's like four huge actors in this movie who have like one scene and they <laughs> eat it up like they're great but um mm. it's, a, it's a cool example of that it's a that's a great movie that is cool 1917 yeah. and I'll say it again I can't wait until 1918 um, <laughs> the sequel the sequel, the squeakle. <laughs> Similarly, I um, like it when movies hide an a- like a famous actor in a movie. Like, uh, like if if a famous actor plays like something something in like a huge amount of like makeup or something or like a creature, I always find that really entertaining because I know that Hollywood really cares a lot about like bankable stars making sure that their face is like visible. One of the big examples of that is like. Uh, Iron Man basically never wearing his helmet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's because <laughs> Disney is like, well, we paid this huge amount of money for Robert Downey Jr. We might as well be getting our money money's worth, you know. Like, if you put a helmet on that guy, then like, what what do you what are we paying him for, you know? Another funny example of that is, uh, I think the movie Kingdom Come. It's like a Ridley Scott like a Crusaders epic, and it has Orlando Bloom in it. And like, there's so many points in that movie during battles, he'll just like take his helmet off. You know, just to <laughs> just so you can see but, that it's Orlando Bloom. Yeah, yeah. Um, cringe. Yeah, funny, 
funny yeah cringe that's uh really scott <laughs> posting cringe on the timeline but <laughs> but i love uh, uh yeah. i mean it's a terrible example but like in in um what is it it's the tenacious d's pick of destiny Oh, so uh, like so Sasquatch good. is it, like Sasquatch is played by John C. Riley, but you can barely even tell it's him. Really, I had no idea. Yeah, that's, that's John awesome. C. Riley, and then the devil oh, is played by the lead singer of the Foo Fighters. What's that guy? Larry Herman. Dave Grohl. Yeah, it's Dave Grohl, but he's what? like you can't tell it's him because he's in the devil, like a huge amount of devil makeup. I had no idea. Yeah, I had no idea. I love that. Movie. And that that no like idea. is so funny to like find out. Oh, that was him. That's so funny. You couldn't even tell. Yeah, another example that I thought of. Uh, with the uh, in the Force Awakens, the stormtrooper who is interrogating Rey at first when she's uh, like waiting for Kylo to interrogate her in the ship uh, is Daniel Craig. Yeah, I was gonna, oh, I was gonna yeah. mention that one. I always thought that was pretty cool. That is funny. Yeah, uh, movies, man. You know, you gotta love them. See, this opinion. is the stuff that people who just go in and they watch the movie once and then they forget about it. This is the stuff they don't get to experience. Yeah, they don't get to experience the, you know, you're at over an hour in your podcast and you're reminiscing with your buddies about... <laughs> about that, that one Daniel time Craig's Daniel Craig was in Star Wars. Can I talk about my favorite movie? Because I know you guys are both going to rib me and give me crap for it. I can't wait. I can't wait to make fun of you. <laughs> All right. So you guys have like very solid picks. Like, uh, you know, There Will Be Blood. Um, side note, I haven't seen that. Um, and then, <laughs> and then, oh brother, we're out thou, which you know, like I can appreciate a really good movie, but my like favorite movie of all time that I am afraid to rewatch because I know it might change is Paranormal Activity three. What? Three? What? The third Paranormal Activity movie is your favorite movie, dude. Like, okay, that's so, impossible. You're off the podcast. I have off the podcast, man. I have an I have an emotional reason for it, okay? Like that doesn't count. No, Emotions no, 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 have no, no, no place here. <laughs> Paranormal Activity three is the one horror movie that actually had me terrified watching it in a movie theater. Like there is, um, I mean, I, it sounds like you guys aren't aficionados of a Paranormal Activity three, so I'll describe the scene. No, I've seen um, it. It's 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 a movie. It's uh, dude, like at the you can end, describe it. I haven't seen it. Please yeah. describe it. So this one, um, the whole gimmick this time was two. They were like, oh, we got more cameras. And for three, they're like, wait a second. What if we have one camera? So <gasps> oh. it's, set, it's set in the uh, 1970s, and it's the parent of the two. I really like Paranormal Activity lore, too, so I'll try not to dive too deep into it. But, no, um, real talk, it is. That's good world building. Those are yeah. actually really good movies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's set in the 70s, and it's, like, the parent of the two girls from the first movie, and he's just, like, and it's, like, the introduction of the ghost that's been haunting people in the movies. Um, so there's a lot of shots that are, I found pretty inventive for, like, trying to, because that whole found footage uh, craze that kind of came out in that time period when Paranormal Activity was pretty big, um, a lot of people just kind of did the straightforward thing. They kind of like try to reinvent it so they do like some shots where it's like okay how do we accurately do this movie with like one camera so they'll there's this one part where uh they were trying to film it at night so this guy like mounted it on one of those can uh, one of those fans that kind of just rotates back and forth right so they would kind of build tension in a shot where the camera would pan over once 
you'd see a normal thing it'd pan oh, back you see something kind of creepy in a corner um it'd go back and you see nothing and it go back to where that weird thing was and it's gone so it's kind of like trying to build tension around like the restrictions of what's going on because it's not like a security camera but it wasn't anything like that uh that got me um at the end of the movie they go to this like wiccan cult uh that like their family is i guess tied to for some reason or another but basically like the people in this cult their intention is to uh like marry one of the daughters to the ghost uh or the the demon or whatever it is and that they obviously don't know this before they go there and um they're there and like some like you know weird stuff starts to happen to the girls and uh it's just it, it's just the sequencing of events where they wake up they're terrified because they don't know what's happening it's the dad filming with his like girls freaking out so that's already like you know like tension of like losing your kids and they're just running around in this house and he's holding this camera and everything's just kind of like coming at them and like you don't get to see behind them because of you know the whole found footage thing and it's just like for whatever reason the circumstances and the way they established that scene just actually built like this like suspense and like terror in me and there's this point where he just goes and hides in a closet because that's like all he can really do and it's just the anticipation knowing that the thing's gonna happen but like you can for not even seeing the character you can feel the terror that they're going through it, it just i was like that that was great that was wonderful because most horror movies i feel like they can do that but it's never like really impactful at least into the way that i've done it but also i'm sure if i went back i may not think the same way so i kind of want to just like hold that memory in my heart forever and like keep it as like keep it pure you know without you know kind of like facing the truth that maybe it is not as good as i remember but, you saw yeah, it in but, theaters but, then right yeah uh okay so that came out in uh 2011 <laughs> yep <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> So, so you haven't seen it since you haven't seen it in almost 10 years i haven't seen yep i haven't seen it in almost 10 years i think that there should be a rule that you have to have seen the movie that you claim to be your favorite movie in the last like there has to be a minimum i think it's like last like i think like two years two three years yeah tops I mean, you guys are right but it just it's good like i had this realization like uh especially since how how old was i then i was like oh god i was like 17 when i saw that movie right and legal in some states and like i was i was a kid <laughs> and it's like i had this in thing some states. when i in some states uh when i was like going back on old youtube channels i was su subscribed to um from like being in like high school to like now and watching some of the videos it's like oh this is bad <laughs> like this just isn't enjoyable or good and everything like like, if, it's worse when you show it to somebody without, like... Yeah, without vetting it. Yeah, and you're like, oh, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> this is just, like, bad taste. So I kind of feel like that's going to happen. And I, I should update it, but... Well, if you're worried about people thinking you have bad taste for <laughs> thinking that Paranormal Activity 3 is your favorite movie, you don't have to worry. I mean, we already think that. No, I know. I, I just... It's like a trope. I know I have bad taste in a lot of things, and I just yeah. kind of accept it. Like... My favorite band right now, or favorite genre, is like Viking metal. All right, so moving on. Uh, my favorite movie, um, you know, I was saying before, 
you know, I was thinking about There Will Be Blood as a uh, kicking that around as my favorite movie. It's definitely like top three, top five. However, um, I waded back into the waters of uh, what is also on like my top five list um, that I thought might be my favorite movie, uh, Pan's Labyrinth, uh, Guillermo del Toro's uh, movie from 2006 about um, a little girl. It's like a dark fantasy about, have you guys seen it? Yes. <laughs> okay. I, I, I thought you explaining the plot was like a, a bit, sorry. <laughs> no, uh, you know, we have people on this podcast who I would say are uncultured, don't really have good <laughs> takes me. her opinion so for them i try to elaborate sorry i was like so yeah um star wars it's basically about this guy named luke skywalker <laughs> his name is luke and he's up to no good um, uh yeah the pan's labyrinth good movie dark fantasy yeah. has some awesome uh creature effects uh like prosthetic like puppetry huge sucker for that kind of thing Rewatched it the other night i don't think it's my favorite movie um, it's it's melodramatic and I love melodrama, but I don't think the they nail the drama as much as they nail the dark fantasy um, creature side of it. So I disqualify that as my favorite movie, and I crown Pod Cannon August Meyer <laughs> favorite movie of all time. Paranormal Activity Four. No, <laughs> oh that one was uh, actually bad. No. <laughs> uh, the Shining, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Watching this movie about Stanley Kubrick's driver really got me feeling something. Um, the Shining, incredible movie. So I, I think it it set the tone for a lot of what horror movies have done uh, after it. Um, it is one of the first examples that I can think of as, and maybe maybe not one of the first examples, but it's an early example at least of a like high drama uh, horror movie. A um, really just man, it's so scary. So good. Jack Nicholson is so creepy in it. Um, Shelley Duvall, who, um, man, she just killed it in this movie. She, like, Kubrick would, like, terrify her, like, psychologically, like, mess with her between takes. So the frazzledness and the scaredness of her character in the movie is, like, real. Because Kubrick is this, like, horrible, manipulative person. But also probably the best director of all time. Um, And The Shining, I just... I can watch that movie a million times. It always freaks me out. I'm always impressed by the crazy cinematography, like that opening shot with the, the helicopter shot above the lake as they're driving up to the, the, the hotel. Incredible. I learned last night um, when I watched that Kubrick documentary that um, most of the movie was filmed like on a, a life-size recreation of a real hotel just because Kubrick wanted to film in, uh, in England. He just didn't want to leave England to actually go film in Colorado. So they built the hotel themselves so that they could film it there. Um, so much cool stuff about this movie. The world building's awesome. There's documentaries you could watch about uh, about The Shining. Um, they go in all these crazy different directions. There's these conspiracy theories that the movie's actually about the faking of the moon landing. Yeah, it's okay. actually about like Native American genocide. All of which very well might be true because this movie's got layers like an onion, like some like a parfait. And I love The Shining. That's my favorite movie. Nice. That's a respectable choice. I have The Shining on my top 20, uh, and I had recently seen it in theaters, actually. They were showing it oh, at a th- they were showing it at a at one of those dine in theaters where you could like order food and stuff. And oh, uh, very yeah. cool. And it was it was like it was like Halloween week or something, so they were showing a bunch of like classic scary movies. And I, I saw they were gonna do The Shining. I was like, I have to see that. That sounds awesome. 
Wait, so I if saw they it. were showing classic Halloween movies, why didn't you go see Paranormal Activity 3? <laughs> <laughs> I think that, I don't know, it's too late. It was too late of a showing for me. I had to go to bed. Uh, yeah, and too spooky. But I, yeah, so the most recent watching, uh, the most recent time that I watched The Shining actually was in a theater. So it was a pretty cool experience. Um, that, uh, that's awesome. But I did Very watch jealous. it with my mom and her friend and it kind of upset me a little bit because uh, they, <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned how well Shelley Duvall did in that movie because I think she's a genius in that movie. She's awesome. Probably some mm-hmm. of the best, like, scared acting ever. Like Absolutely. But they definitely did not take it seriously because I they think they found it funny. They were like, oh, my God, she's running. Like, she's not even running that fast. You know how sometimes you watch, like, movies with that certain type of person. And my mom is definitely not this type of person, but she can get to be that way sometimes where they'll say something like, if I was in that situation, I would not have done that. You know what I mean? Where (laughs) like they just take themselves completely out of the movie and they're like, um, yeah, that's not believable because if I was in that situation, uh, I would have been a badass and not scared. So I think that her and her friend were definitely kind of like taking the stance of, uh yeah, why did you run away? I would have just I would have charged Jack head on with a knife and stabbed him in the throat <laughs> and the badass kickflip and stuff. So, I don't know. Uh her, her she probably uh yeah, I don't know. She probably didn't enjoy well, that part of the movie. Would have been sick actually if Shelley Duvall no, had right. achieved a kickflip at the end of The Shining. If she would have but, achieved um... a kickflip and did, did, she would have <laughs> filled her special bar. Yeah, if your mom wants to come on the podcast, actually, and talk more about this, um, I know I would be open to it. I'm sure Matt would as well. <laughs> it's the little thing. I didn't even bring it up to her. I just thought it was funny that her and her friend were laughing at Shelley Duvall screaming. <laughs> See, like, it's hard to, hard for me to think about laughing at that because um, Shelley Duvall, you know, I think he's had a hard life of after course. The Shining. Yeah, Dr. Um, Phil really so... made sure of that. Sorry, her. Yeah, so... You know, maybe we can get your mom in the pod to kind of, you know, make her come to terms with her behavior, because sometimes <laughs> I just think that kind of thing is unacceptable. Yeah, but, yeah we'll just bully your mom. Yeah. <laughs> cyber, it's just cyber. My mom's a nice lady. Bully. Yeah, she, but, you know, but sometimes people need to be put in their place. But <laughs> this has been a wonderful time, Dane. Uh, thank you so much uh, for coming on the pod. Um, your favorite movie. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you trying to wrap up? You did. Yeah, did you I do did it again? again? You did, did this I do again. it again? Oh my goodness. All right. So someone may be eager, but this podcast will not be ending until we have our most recognizable bit. The most yeah, notable. Yeah, kind of what we're known for. Okay. Yeah. So Dane, since you're new, we'll give you a little rundown. We have a patented algorithm to figure out who the best Nelson of the week is. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, I know I wanted to like do an unveiling because it's your first time here and everything but spoilers the most notable nelson this week is once again larry herb xbox lives major nelson this is what um, three four weeks in a row yeah That's dude. Crazy. <laughs> three weeks in a row it's crazy he is unstoppable um but we did have a new runner-up this week uh nelson mandela has once again lost um second place <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry about that sir people like him um we Wait, did you hear that? When I said Nelson Mandela, I heard a ha-ha. Because this week's runner-up for most notable Nelson is Nelson Muntz from The Simpsons. 
I hate that guy. Yeah, right. Like, no, no one likes that guy. This must be. Of an course, error. he's a runner up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's why he's second. We're still working the kinks out of the algorithm, but I'm glad Larry took it again. Good for him. Yeah. Good job. Once again, a giant crate will be mailed to you, Larry Herb. Um, you just need to come on our podcast to get the keys to this. Um, so yeah. Uh, Dane, do you have a do you have a favorite Nelson? Um, I do. I don't know if he's ever made your list before, but um, uh, he's a big uh, country blues blues uh, bluegrass uh, singer by the name of William Nelson, otherwise known as Willie. Oh, oh, Willie! Yeah, yeah, that's a great Nelson. Oh, yeah, he got I'll eight nominate him. this week. Eight, eight, yeah, eight. <laughs> maybe. Yikes! Well, maybe next time, Willie. Moving up the ladder, he's on the board. hopefully. Yeah, good for Willie. Yeah. Good for Willie. You know, if Willie ever wants to get, you know, he's in eighth place. If he ever wants some, like, publicity to maybe help, you know, bump that up, he's welcome on the podcast. Any Nelson is welcome on the podcast, I'll say. <laughs> Even Nelson Mandela. Oh. <laughs> it's called the, uh, I think they called it the Nelson Effect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, that should be the name of the, uh, the segment. <laughs> the Nelson Effect. Uh, um, well, um, as far as I'm aware... Um, I don't think I'm forgetting any other segments, um, but uh, Daniel, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure potting with you. Thanks for having me, and I hope you'll invite me back some other time. It was a fun, fun experience. You maybe your mom definitely. I'll definitely have to get her uh, hooked up to another microphone over here, <laughs> so she can weigh in, so, so she can uh, talk crap about. Uh, about Shelley Duvall. Yeah, we can have a new segment called Dissin Duvall. Where... <laughs> Dissin <laughs> yeah, Duvall. Yeah. That's great. Slam and Shelley. Shelley. Yes. <laughs> Slam and Shelley. Tune in next week for Slam and Shelley with Dane's mom. <laughs> uh, this, is... <laughs> this has been another Motion Pixels podcast. Uh, some say our best podcast yet. Uh, I am your co-host, August Meyer. This is my other co-host, Matthew Rawlings, friend of the show, Uncle Dane. And uh, thanks for potting with us. I'm finished. Yeah. Like uh, when you guys were having your, what were you guys talking about on Twitter the past couple days? Um, it was oh, some like hot take. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With only oh, yeah, the categorization. Oh yeah, yeah. We were talking about the categorization of like horror movies and stuff. Yeah, I saw you guys talking about that, and I was like, dude, ask Dane to come on, cause like, like you're like, like you could even tell like when we were recording, like you're very passionate when it's like about I don't know, just like the the genre um, or the the medium, I should say. Yeah. And it sounds like your mom is way more passionate about horror <laughs> movies. You're never gonna let her live that down. Her laughing at Shelley Duvall in the theater, will ya? Other people were well, laughing she too. To she wasn't alone. That's why we'll I bring them on the pod too. Yeah, all yeah, of them. <laughs> we'll just gather around, you know. We'll uh, set up a microphone and let people like say insults, hurl insults at Shelly. Slam and Shelly. <laughs> Slam and Shelly. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>